think that I'm going to say something contrived now because you've started the last few podcasts catching me out by moaning about the ASICs <laughs> delivery man or something like that. And I'm just not going to play that game anymore, Matt. Um, so use this if you've got nothing else. This is all you're going to be left with. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Football Unfocused, the football based. I would normally say loosely football based, but I'm going to say football based uh, podcast in which two old school friends in their late 30s ramble on about things that they think are vaguely interesting. Um, we have no credibility. Uh, we have nothing to back up our, uh, our opinions, and there will be factual errors. I actually listened, Matt, to uh, last week's one. I don't always listen to them. And I realised that I threw Peter Beardsley into the um, uh, group of people that was sold by um, Graham Souness in his early days at Liverpool. But he wasn't. He was actually sold by Kenny before... Uh, Kenny uh, left, uh, but it was Kenny. still in that same period of time. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you, you need, you know, the fact that you need me to... I, do, I did that on purpose, I'm not, yeah, yeah, yeah no. But anyway, how are you, how are you, Matt? Yeah, no, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm fine, yeah, yeah. Good, yeah. right, let's crack on. Matt, you're a vegan. What meat-based food do you miss the most? <laughs> um, Probably... Um... Sausages, not just meat sausages, not because you're yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, know, you slowly phased out the meat, didn't you? Didn't you did you I go did, vegetarian for a while? No, I went, went vegetarian, and then yeah, I remember that. And what about vegetarian. proper cheese? You don't miss proper cheese, yeah, yeah, cheese, cheese, big time. But I don't, but I don't have as many nightmares as well now, so that's good. Uh, was that a joke? Um, because <laughs> it was a poor no, one, che- yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> It's, oh, cheese, cheese is meant to give you nightmares, isn't it? Oh, no, I know. Like, that's why, that's why I should right, use a joke. Yeah. <laughs> but did you actually have cheese nightmares then? Because I thought you were just playing up no. the whole myth, whether or not it is a myth about cheese nightmares. But, but that's only if you eat cheese late at night, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was who, who is, like, shoveling down massive wads of Stilton at, like, up past 10 at night and then going to bed? Uh, the sweets? Like, they're out there. The sweets. It's not. It's not even a sweet. They're like cheese, fondue. Oh no, French. Who That's is it Swiss, I think, isn't it? Oh, the... <laughs> you <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> sweet. And, and it wouldn't be Stilton, then, would it? Just fondue. Yeah. Good. Okay, Matt. Matt, what are, what are we talking about this uh, in this fine episode of uh, Football Unfocused? Um. Yeah, I love it. Just, whenever, just just for anyone listening to this, uh, whenever I ask Matt that question, a slight look of panic um, descends across his face, and he and he starts pressing buttons in front of him so he can remind himself, and and, and he might have scribbled down a couple of notes or looked at a, 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 no, a basic no, re- article. Yeah, what no, are we no, about, re- Matt? I'm reading. I'm reading the messages you sent me, and you said around. Uh, you said a roundup of the past season. Yeah, well, I would. I, I'd say that this is um, a, a, the type of podcast I would. I would uh, instinctively uh, avoid because if there's one thing that uh, I find um, nauseating, it's when uh, kind of self-appointed, uh, non-professional pundits think that they're uh, opinions on like you know tactics and. Um, uh, you know, philosophies of various managers and big errors, that tactical errors that managers and players or whatever made in a game. And you think, oh, shut up. But I do think seeing as the football season has just finished, it's probably worth uh, just looking back on some things that were notable. 
you must be fizzing with opinions, Matt. I mean, all the football you've watched. Uh, yeah, yeah. What was, your, what, was your, what was your highlight? <laughs> um, well, if I could refer to the, the top 10 talking points of the article that I read and then uh, yeah. maybe use that as the basis. Just, just, just for one second, do you even know who won the league? Yeah. Oh, mate, come on. Who won the league, Matt? Oh, I know, Man City. God, I'm not that. I'm not that dense. <laughs> who got relegated? That is actually quite a tricky one. So you have no idea who got relegated? No, no, do I do. I do. Fulham. Yeah. Uh, uh, the team that Sam Allardyce coached. <laughs> Yes, is that West also Brom. full of West Brom? Sorry. No, no, it's also full of yeah, yeah. One more. Oh, and is it? Was it Sheffield? Sheffield. Very good. Which Sheffield? one? <laughs> There's two Sheffield. Teams. I know, Which I one? know, man. I was hoping I could just extend the Sheffield. Yeah. Just keep saying Sheffield. That's why. That's why I'm talking. Why I'm talking. Yeah. Sheffield United. Very good. Yeah, but that's that's immediately a talking point. It's something we covered um, in brief a couple of episodes ago. But we are now in a situation where uh, two of the three promoted teams are going straight back down and two of the three uh, relegated teams are going straight back up. Thankfully, not because they've got anything against them, but thankfully Bournemouth um, lost their playoff game last week, so it won't be three out of three um, coming back up. But just um, sort of, you know, when I think about the football that I'm returning to as a as a an, an attendee next season, excitedly returning um, to the stadium. I think there's only going to really be like kind of two two differences to the like, the lineup. Bear in mind that there'll have been six teams going up and six teams going down since um, uh, I was last in the stadium, and there's only going to really be like two or three differences to the kind of lineup of the Premier League and I think that probably tells you something about a bit of um I don't know whether it's you could call it a lack of competitiveness but certainly a situation where only a small number of clubs can realistically expect to get promoted and then what they do with that promotion is kind of minimal expectations of just about survive but probably go down but go down with um, enough money in the bank to um outmuscle your rivals in that lower division and probably come back up again. So we'll see, we'll keep an eye on that one and see whether that is um, kind of worthy of note in a in a year or two. But I do think it look it has the kind of whiff of the beginning of a concerning trend. Was that one of the talking points that your uh, article suggested? <laughs> were, or was no. it going to be like, oh, that VAR decision? <laughs> no, no, it was like, it was things like, oh, didn't Liverpool kind of pull their socks up? Uh, towards the end of the season, yeah. types. Type that, that's, actually, <laughs> that, that, that's quite a good one, actually, because clearly, you know, I don't, don't want to bang on too much about Liverpool, but like, it, it is really the, the the kind of story of the season, the sort of capitulation of Liverpool. But what's 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 really interesting when it when now the dust has settled and you actually step back and look at it, they've finished uh, in third place despite losing, having gone um, for nearly four years without losing a home league game and then lost six in a row uh, at home. It's unprecedented. It's just like you're getting all your, your defeats from the previous four years all stored up and uh, out of the way at the, at the same time. Um, 
And you'd, you'd expect that to result in a disastrous season that will go down in, in the annals of time as, you know, oh, look at look at that lot. They never recovered from that. They end up finishing in the bottom half of the table when they were the champions. And we came third. And uh, we only came five points behind the team in second place who didn't lose an away game in the entire season. Um, and if you look at the points total that we got, and then add it to our two previous seasons. This is actually a very interesting stat. Uh, and then you do the same with Manchester City, the current champions, and the 2019 champions. Uh, both teams have got exactly the same points, 265 points over that three-season period. So I think it goes to show that we probably had the equivalent season that Man City had last season, um, where they just had a bit of a bit of a transition and some challenges to face. Uh I'd say the difference being that, um, you know, as as really are quite unprecedented, um, because there was a there was this kind of um, I think because Liverpool's issues that they had to overcome this season were so clear and so stark and so severe in terms of that the level of injuries to, to a bunch of players who all played the same positions. It was like it was like a sick joke, and even even some of the standings midfielders who started to then play at centre back because the actual centre-backs um, uh, were, were out, like, long-term injured. They themselves then started to get injured and missing two or two weeks here, three weeks there. Um, so it was like a centre-back was like a cursed position. And I maintain, I think, I think because that is, that is essentially such a good, solid excuse that's difficult to kind of argue against, People were a bit pissed off with that. It's been similar to like, like I say, because uh, it, you know, in these days where kind of everyone's got an opinion and everything has to be reduced to a, a kind of you know a, a meme or a trending topic or whatever, or just a bit of a piss take or you know that that awful word banter again. There was this kind of idea floating around in the mid-season in in sort of you know February time that Liverpool's defence of the title was was so pathetic it it, it sort of constituted uh, labelling them as the worst champions uh, of all time and there's a couple of issues with that firstly firstly um, how you are as a champion is not dependent upon how you defend it it's how you achieve it in the first place it's based on the season in which you were the champion so it's a bullshit concept right from the start but also secondly we've, we've ended up coming coming third and uh, I just had a little scroll down the, uh, the history books. In the last 10 years, this is, this is actually very interesting. Only Manchester City of the last 10 years have won the league and then finished in a Champions League spot the next season. So everyone else has won the title, which is Chelsea twice, um, Manchester United once years and years ago, and, uh, and Leicester City. So Chelsea finished 10th and 5th after winning the league. Um, the Manx uh, finished 7th after Ferguson retired. And Leicester came 12th after their miraculous league title. So um, it was only Man City who had followed up winning the league with Champions League qualification next season. And we, despite losing all three of our first-choice central defenders for pretty much the entire season and having to play... A, a mixture of midfielders and unproven kind of kids or players who um, before that point probably weren't ever going to get the opportunity to play. We've got, we've muddled through with them for the entire season, still got uh, 69 points and came third. So I actually think that's quite remarkable. And if you took away that, if you divide the season in three, 
the first third and the last third, it's title-winning form. They they were top at Christmas. They ended the season um, about four or five points clear of everyone else in the form table over that 10-game. It's that, that, that middle section where, you know, the, the loss of um, form, the, the fact that they had so many injuries that they couldn't rotate any players. So the forwards who were looking, you know, exhausted and kind of out of ideas. The fact that the, the, the whole dynamic of the midfield was destroyed because you had to take key players out of their positions to uh, play at the back, which then changed the way that we play, slowed us down. It meant we looked short of confidence and ideas because that's exactly what we were. And even um, further forward, some of the injuries, you know, we lost um, Diogo Jota for about three months. He was our uh, big summer signing. He made an amazing impact when he first uh, came along. He was really going to be challenging, particularly Bobby Firmino from that forward line. And, uh, we, we lost him. I mean, that was actually, in in some respects, self-inflicted. That's one of the few, few things that I would hold um, um, the great Jürgen accountable for because he, he inexplicably selected him for a meaningless uh, Champions League group game against Michelin, where we'd already qualified, and he picked up an injury in that game and ended up missing about three months. And that meant that Salah Mane and Firmino were having to play pretty much every game. And for long spells of that, they looked absolutely spent and short of ideas. Um, but the whole function of the team was affected. We brought Thiago Alcantara last summer to give us fluidity in midfield, make us a little bit more creative and breaking the lines. And again, he got injured in right early in the season in the same game where we lost Virgil for the whole season. He didn't play for a, a few months. And then when he did, he's in the side. He's a world-class player. He's got on showdown at the end of the season. He's absolutely amazing. But he was able to be thrown straight back in the, in the side in the middle of the season. He's in a new league, new country, arrived during a pandemic, not had the opportunity to properly settle in and integrate with the area. That must that would be difficult for anyone. And he's expect people are expecting sort of miracles from him. And uh, and you know that's that's really tough on on anyone in a side that by then were failing. So on on Liverpool, we'll move on from there now. <laughs> on, on Liverpool, I actually think it's a remarkable season. I'm not um I'm not one of those people who gets overly excited about um, finishing in the top four. You try and sort of get excited about it, but like, I know it's important for the club and, you know, supposedly it means that you can continue to attract a level of player who would never join a club outside of the Champions League and the money, blah, blah, blah. But like, it's not exactly, there's no victory parade, is there, for finishing third? But it is still a remarkable achievement when you consider all the clubs that were supposedly having better seasons than us that have all ended up finishing um, um, comfortably below us. Um, but uh, I'd say on that, Matt, um, as a passionate Spurs fan, you must be pretty proud because, I mean, if, if, if Spurs are famous for anything, it is the fact that every time the year ends in one, they cover themselves in glory, don't they? And, um, you know, I'm 2011. Uh, we'll move on, move on from that, actually. Uh, 2001. Uh, no, forget that one as well. Uh, 1991, they did uh, win the FA Cup. And 81. 71, forget that. Uh, <laughs> Six, oh, 61, they won the double. The last time they won the league, I think that was. Uh, that. But, but who'd have thought that they could possibly surpass uh, those magnificent achievements in the year uh, that ends in one? But they've gone and done it this year. And it, I'm surprised you're able, you must still be in celebratory mood, uh, Matt. I'm surprised you're not still on the piss because 
to, to qualify for the inaugural uh, UEFA Conference League uh, for next season. How excited are you now? <laughs> I know. Uh, you don't know what that is, do you? <laughs> yeah, no, it is exciting. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were top in December. Yeah. No. They're playing in the, 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 the a, a competition that is so uninspiring for um, anyone potentially taking part in it that teams were actively trying to avoid finishing seventh so they wouldn't have to <laughs> go through the humiliation of playing in it. And particularly Tottenham, I do I do genuinely I don't I have no problem with Tottenham. I actually quite I, I don't I actually quite like Tottenham in a lot of ways. But I think I think because I I think Tottenham get a raw deal because all the other London clubs hate them more than everyone else. So every single one of them hate Tottenham as, as their kind of biggest rival. And, and and so I feel that Tottenham, <laughs> there are so many people out there who just like revel in taking the piss out of Tottenham. <laughs> Tottenham do make it incredibly easy for them to do that, to be fair. But um, so, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not just trying to like, you know, p- piss on Tottenham. <laughs> but, but I will say that, um, you know, to go in the space of a month, from a team who were so big for their boots, they thought they were worthy of joining an elite breakaway league uh, that um, cut them off permanently from... So what, so what won, Arsenal? So what Arsenal? Yeah, I know. And Arsenal didn't even qualify for the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so they finished seventh and eighth to these supposed super clubs that were going to cut off the likes of uh, Ajax, Bayern Munich, <laughs> Paris Saint-Germain, Porto... <laughs> who have all got proud, rich European pedigrees, with the possible exception of PSG, um, and uh, plonked themselves in this uh, fake um, shut-off league. And now they're going to be in Europe's third-ranking competition. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe it will end up being the competition that everyone wants to be in. <laughs> the, fight, the fight for seventh is going to be an annual thing. Who knows? Let's not let's not write it off before uh, we've seen it. Yeah. But... Um, are you, are you excited about that campaign next season? Though? Well, since I've heard about it now, I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah. <laughs> You're very excited. <laughs> having, having frantically quickly Googled it to find out what the fuck it was when Mark brought it up. Brilliant. Yeah. Matt, who was your, your team of the season? Uh, genuinely, it was... Let me have a look again. Um, <laughs> it, it was... Genuinely, it was... It was Leeds. It was Leeds. Leeds. Why? Have you actually watched Leeds games this season? No, but I knew, I knew, I knew the the backstory. The, the manager is is sort of He's taken on a take taken on a. Well, no, I won't say his name. Who is his name? <laughs> you won't say He's it Argent- you don't know it. He's Argentinian, isn't yeah. he? Very good. So you know the. I know. I mean, I know the. I know the country he's from. I mean, he's not quite on the tip of your tongue, but you know his nationality. Yeah, yeah. That's the main thing. Um, But yeah, what what makes you such a big fan of what Bielsa has uh, achieved at Leeds? Then, um, well, just the fact that he's he's just finished, um, you know, just behind Tottenham and Arsenal, uh, having come up from um, having just been promoted. from from the Champions League. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Do you know what? I mean, I actually, even though that I don't know whether that was an opinion that you um, that you're ripping off from a, a, a football article that you frantically read five minutes before we started, or whether that's what you actually believe. But Leeds would be very close to be my uh, team of the season, just because obviously in lockdown, when every game's been on um, live telly, they are 
one of the very small number of sides where it doesn't matter what game you watch, what their opponent is, it is always exciting. They are so good. I don't know how the hell he's got those players so thin. And they've actually remarkably remained injury free, considering they do pretty much more running than any other side in the um, in the in the country. And also I think what gets underreported about um, because he is a high profile manager with a great track record and he's respected as like almost like godfather of modern coaching by people like Pochettino and Guardiola. I think the some details about what he's achieved at Leeds, because he don't don't kind of get reported enough because I think people will probably um, focus on the kind of the idiosyncrasies of him, him, you know, pacing around, looking a bit like a... He, I mean, he's got this kind of mad, like, he can't make eye contact with anyone. He spends all his time looking at the ground and he looks like a kind of aw- awkward, almost like all autistic schoolboy sometimes, you know. He's just sort of socially awkward. It makes him so, like, lovable and endearing. And and yet, it really does. But, like, but but the fact is he's a, you know, manager formerly of some massive clubs around Europe and the Argentinian national side. But he's done so much of this at least without even spending huge amounts of money. You know, it's, uh, so many of those players were like run-of-the-mill championship players who he's completely transformed in terms of their, their physical and tactical approach to, to the game. It's absolutely amazing. He's made Patrick Bamford into one of the best strikers in the country rather than this kind of mid-ranking underachiever that he was looking like he was going to um, slip into... You know that for the rest of his career, he's um, you know turned people like um, Stuart Dallas and um, Luke Ayling, and ah, oh, they're, they're absolutely amazing to to watch. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not unprecedented to come up and finish uh, ninth because I think Sheffield United were around there last season, and Wolves came up finished seventh and then again the following season and way back in the early 2000s Ipswich Town actually came up came fifth um, and got into the uh, UEFA Cup as it was still called then um, and then got relegated the next season unfortunately um, so yeah Leeds, no, Leeds, Leeds because of, I think because of the way they've done it because they do it in such an entertaining and energetic exhilarated way yeah Leeds have been absolutely amazing West Ham as well you have to give credit to, to West Ham. I mean, they they stayed up by the skin of their teeth last season, and they've they've just uh, finished sixth. I mean, that that's unbelievable. With I think their record points total in the Premier League era, and they play you know decent football. And to give him his due, David the much derided uh, David Moyes, whose reputation really got dragged through the mud uh, because he uh, was fo- foolish enough to take over directly from Ferguson. Whoever took that job was on a height to nothing. It was obviously going to go wrong. But he, he, you can look back there and say he was probably harshly dealt with because he had a he had an ageing squad with one standout player, Van Persie, who had basically won under the league the year before. And um, he went in there with a big job to do. That squad needed refreshing and was kind of assured that he'll be given time to do it. And then as soon as they got to the stage that season where it was mathematically impossible to qualify for the Champions League, he was out the door. Since then, he's he's just really had kind of uh, big Sam style rescue jobs. Have been the only chance he's got, and that's how he originally started off at West Ham. And then he got binned off at the end of that season, having saved them because they wanted to bring in a a, a more attractive, kind of sexier alternative. And that didn't work out. And then they go crawling back to him, and that is he's completely turned them around. They now um, they do actually play decent football, and they're. Um, 
they're an athletic side, they're a physical side, they they have sort of good, skillful, technical players that made some really astute value signings. Um, you know, make buying two lads from the uh, Czech Republic, um, uh, Sufal and Sushek, who've been absolutely brilliant. I mean, fair play to West Ham, and um, and they're an example of. I really hate it when people talk down the Europa League. It really pisses me off. I think it's a very English thing. Um, to do because all the other, um, particularly Spanish clubs, but all the other um, uh, big footballing nations around Europe, the clubs that qualify, they see the Europa League as like a massive deal. The final, as we're recording this now, has just kicked off between um, Villarreal and the Max. And, um, you know, that will be, uh, in, you you know, over here, probably people have a passing interest unless you obviously support the clubs involved. But in, in Spain and in Italy um, and in uh, uh, Germany and France, you know, everyone will be watching this. It is a, a massive deal because there's only two competitions you can win in Europe, and that's one of them. And, you know, why not? Just because the prize money is is like, well, a fraction, it's probably about 15, 20% of what you get for winning the, the Champions League and some of the teams that qualify at the beginning of the sort of group stages are not quite as glamorous and they're from some of the lower-ranked football leagues. But in a way, that, that to me adds to the appeal. That's brilliant. That's what football's supposed to be all about. And if we've learned anything from the European Super League um, fiasco over recent months, it's that people have an appetite to watch football that isn't just the same, you know, monolithic clubs, you know, again, going against each other and these overhyped, commercialised clashes. People sometimes do actually want to watch a club from... Uh, Romania, um, you know, playing against a team that came fifth in England. And that's, you know, I've got great respect for that. I think I thought that the UEFA Cup, as it was before, was a great competition. And I, I like the Europa League. And uh, for West Ham to qualify for that is absolutely brilliant. And uh, fair play to them. They, they fully deserve it. I know that they, they thought they were going to finish higher up for uh, for a little while. But, you know, as a man who lives around the corner of their stadium, I actually feel weirdly uh, a lot more sort of sympathetic towards West Ham these days than I did previously. But that's probably because the stadium's been empty for a year and a half and I haven't been had to encounter uh, 60,000 of their fans when I'm trying to just pop into Westfield. As soon as I see them again, I'll probably go back to hate them. <laughs> I am interested to know what this article... Oh, right. Um, anyone, who re- anyone who listens to this will just see me like... He's just, he just, all he's done is just read The Guardian and, and it just said top yeah, 10. Oh, it was The Guardian, <laughs> was it? So what, what, what have they said are the key talking points? Are there any there? To be honest, the, the Belsa one, that was point number nine and I didn't get Belsa. down. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't actually get down to that one. I only got to like number six of, of what 10. What did they say is the number one talking It was point? Liverpool, the first one, which you, you kind of oh, hij- okay. you kind of hijacked. You know, I was going to make a obviously a long and eloquent point, but you sort of beat me yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're going. Uh, Guardioli. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Guardiola, sorry. Um, uh, please leave that in. Do not edit that out. Do not edit that out. Because uh, I'm now going to refer to him as Guardioli uh, for all time. <laughs> And if you edit out, people will just think I've gone insane. <laughs> and they won't understand the context. That's, that's why I tend to shy away from doing podcasts like this, because like anyone can just go along and like sit in a pub and just parrot, you know, uh, what other kind of... <laughs> uh, 
most obvious talking points of the season. Yeah, I mean, Pep Guardiola, right? I mean, what a remarkable manager. What more is there to say? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the guy yeah. is a winning machine everywhere he goes. He he manages to, you know, no matter what the opponent or the stage of the season, he manages... Are you sure intensity. you didn't read that article? Because that literally says winning machine. No, I haven't read any article, mate. I'm just, I've just got my finger on the zeitgeist. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but the guy, the guy is unbelievable. And everyone, a lot of people like to throw back at him that everywhere he's been, he's been managing the club that's got the biggest budget in that league. And that might well be true, but that was also pretty much true of Alex Ferguson throughout his entire 26 years at Old Trafford. And that didn't stop him from being a great manager. And the difference is, as well, that there, are, there have been other managers who have gone to clubs that have had massive amounts of money to spend and they've not achieved anywhere close to what he has done and got their teams to play in the style that he has um, got that team playing. I mean, they are unbelievable. And they've got to win the league this season at a canter without a centre-forward for the majority of the time. They've got one of the best strikers in European football over the last 25 years. He's been injured. And even when he's been fit, just left on the bench because they're doing so well without him. So completely remodeled the team. They are unbelievable. And I'm not I'm not one of these Liverpool fans who just because they've kind of been our main rival for for trophies in the last few years has any sort of dislike for Man City. I have great respect for Man City and um I actually don't you know, the way I look at it is if we're not gonna win it, I'm happy for them to win it because if we're winning the title or Man City winning the title, then there's a, 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 a a certain football club that also play in the Manchester region, they're going to be pretty pissed off with that because that means that one of their biggest rivals is always winning and it's not them. Uh, what a shame. So I know that they, they I think they, they certainly hate us more than um, more than Man City, but either way, it's got a sting. Uh, I'd say Leicester, you, Leicester are brilliant as well. And I think everyone, unless you're a Chelsea fan, even some Chelsea fans, probably were secretly quite happy when Leicester went and won the FA Cup. That was beautiful. And it also showed what brilliant competition the FA Cup still is. Um, you know, I keep threatening to do um, a podcast about just like random moans. One <laughs> of them would be, I just, right, one of the things that really pisses me off, yeah, um, you know, all right, you could, a lot of people could say, like, oh, he's fine for you. You're a, you're a Liverpool fan. You know, you're lucky you spoil it, whatever. And yeah, that's true. Um Although for long periods of the last 30 years, it definitely wasn't. But what I don't get is clubs that moan about how the same old teams win uh, big trophies every year. And then when it comes to FA Cup third round, FA Cup fourth round, FA Cup fifth round in January and February of every year, they'll put a second string team out for their FA Cup game, risk getting knocked out against a, a weaker side when that's their biggest chance of winning a trophy and actually giving their supporters some some glory. There was a time when the FA Cup, I know this is, this is falling into the realms of a dull conversation because it <laughs> it's, it's, it's the kind of chat you get on a preview show the night before FA Cup third round uh, weekend starts every, every, every January. But one of the main... In the old days, the FA Cup was genuinely regarded as the, a big winning. That was a bigger deal than winning the league because it was so special. And a lot of that, I think, was because it was the only, often pretty much the only game that would be on live telly. And because now there's such a saturation of telly, uh, televised football, that a final at Wembley, especially when it's played at half past five on the same day that Premier League games are played, it does lose a, a certain amount of its uh, mystique. So I, I totally get that. But I just think that Winning it is still an amazing thing, and clubs that clubs that are not going to get relegated, and you know, 
if you, even if, say you're Aston Villa or say you're Newcastle, and say you get a really unlucky FA Cup draw, you, you get a home draw in the third round, but you're playing Man City or Chelsea, put your full-strength team out because they will make changes. They're, they're going to be knackered. They're in that spell of the season where they've got a little break, respite from the European competition before the, the knockout stuff starts. They're probably carrying some injuries. If you're going to beat them, that's the time you're going to beat them. Go for it. Show some ambition. and give Show some respect to your fans that you want to give them that special day. But instead, they're so fixated with, um, even if it is the remotest threat that they might get relegated from the Premier League, if they don't rotate and rest their squad, they'll stick a, a team out in the FA Cup where it's 50% kids and end up, you know, losing at home to, you know, Preston, who are in one one division below, but if they're taking it seriously, they might have actually gone on and won it. Because if you can, if you're going to kill off the bigger clubs in the FA Cup before they start putting their proper teams out, it's going to be in the earlier rounds. So do it, go for it, show some ambition. But hey, Leicester, fair play, brilliant yeah. that they won the cup. Gutted for them that they didn't get in the top four. There was a spell last week where it looked beautifully like we were going to do it and Leicester were going to do it. It was actually going to be Chelsea who missed out. But uh, life, life's never that perfect, is it? So, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's tough on Leicester. There's some stat that they've, they've, the last two seasons, they've been in the top four for 93% of the time, but in both of the seasons finished fifth and didn't get in the Champions League. And that is so rough. So they've been punished. The, the only 7%... Of the last two seasons that they've been outside the top four has been basically the, <laughs> the last three games. Yes. That's brutally harsh. Yeah. Um, but, you know, hey, they say that there's no such thing as a luck in a 38-game league season. You can fluke your way to a to a cup, but you finish where you deserve to finish in the league. And I guess that is uh, harsh <laughs> but true. But, hey, there you go. Um, but very interesting. I'm sure you were thinking of all this, all this stuff. <laughs> Did it mention any of this in the Guardian article, mate? I, I think you. I think we were researching the same article. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I'll just say yes, even though I, I don't know, even though I don't know the article and I haven't read it, even though I, even though I don't live here and I do hate it. Well, on that really exciting and upbeat um, uh, note, we, it's time to uh, for this week's football unfocused to say goodbye. Farewell, take care, Arrivederci.